You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I seek reality, not wishful reality, not institutional reality, but real reality. I was educated as a scientist, I think as a scientist, and I know most science is true. I've studied theology, I understand theology, and I hope some theology is not false. I've long tracked the relationship between science and theology, the easy conflicts and complaints, the hard harmonies and accommodations. Frankly, I've been ambivalent about the relationship, worry about artificial harmonies as much as about superficial conflicts. That's why when I heard about a conference on science and theology at Notre Dame called The Quest for Consonance, I was intrigued. But why consonance, an odd word? What is it about consonance in science and theology that we should quest for it? Why consonance in science and theology? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. The Quest for Consonance, Theology and the Natural Sciences is organized by Notre Dame Center for Theology, Science, and Human Flourishing. The conference is envisioned as an intellectual tribute to the late Ernan McMullen, a leading philosopher of science and Catholic priest. Participating are scholars in theology, philosophy, history, and science. In Seeking Consonance, they look to interact in novel ways and explore, as they say, unexpected levels of interdisciplinarity. The unifying vision is that there is more that holds science and theology together than breaks them apart. Interdisciplinary engagement always sounds good, but I am always skeptical. I just can't help myself. Smooth words, but how towards consonants? With whom should I begin? So many choices. I seek a professional in both categories. Someone both a working scientist and a practicing theologian. Andrew Pinsent is research director of the Ian Ramsey Center for Science and Religion at Oxford University. He has two PhDs in high energy physics and in philosophy theology. He has worked both as a physicist at CERN and as a Catholic priest. Andrew, I was trained as a scientist. I've had great interest in the possibility that there may be a God, the nature of reality. But when I see the quest for consonants, actually, I almost feel the reverse. I like the experience of dissonance because dissonance is a better way to get at truth. Do you feel this dissonance? Well, um, I hope it's not a, a dissonance that um, makes me sort of divide against myself. But I think there are two areas to fall into in regards to the relationship of science and philosophy and theology. The first is to try to f force a synthesis, as if these are sort of the same things from different directions. That's clearly not the case. They deal with quite different aspects of reality. 
So physics, for example, is very good at measurement. We can launch space probes to the outer planets and get them on target within a second of when we, we launch. Philosophy deals with something quite different. Philosophy deals with what we call first causes and principles of things. And that's, that covers a range of different fields. There's science, but also art and uh, human person and so on. And theology deals with revelation, principally. So has God spoken to us? If, he, if God has spoken to us, what is the content of that revelation? What are of its implications for our lives? In practice, theology deals with the person. Uh, in fact, the person was invented by theology uh, to solve uh, theological problems. Now, they have very different uh, epistemological uh, bases. And when we set up these three categories, they sound equivalent even if they're looking at different questions. But the confidence level that one can have in each of them have very different characteristics. When you're dealing with science, you, you can have a Hindu, a, a Buddhist in Japan, somebody in Africa. After a while, they would all come to the same answer. Clearly, in theology, that's not the case. I think we've got to be very careful not to think of all kinds of knowledge as the knowledge of the natural sciences. Natural sciences, we measure things to great precision. Clearly, a lot of human life isn't about that. A friendship between persons or writing a symphony or a great work of art. What exactly is the epistemic confidence level here? It's not quite a term that fits. But the other question you address is how theology changes in different environments. And clearly, this word religion, which is a very deceptive word, really, covers things that are very, very different. And it can seem very disordered uh, because there are so many uh, different expressions of religion. The way I like to divide up um, the religious landscape might be in, in terms of how they deal with the human person. Some kinds of religions, particularly Buddhism, for example, the personal relationship with God isn't really a factor or even the existence of a personal God. And then there are many religions which address God in a third personal way. If you do this for God, God will do this for you. But the person you didn't mention uh, just now was the second person. I think what is unique in the history of the Jewish people, which are then taken up in Christianity, is the, the I-thou relationship, mm. the, the second person relationship. I think that is one of the distinctive mm. contributions of theology to, uh, to civilization. And so understanding the theology in that context how then do you relate it to, to science? Because it sounds like the relationship is almost no contradiction, but no relationship at all. Well, I, d I disagree with that. So I think that, first of all, science gives us very rich metaphors. If theology deals with supernatural truths, they have to be expressed in natural metaphors. And the more natural metaphors we've got, the better. I'll give you an example of this from early in the Christian history. So there's a word in the creed, homoousios, which is one substance or mm. consubstantial. Now, that didn't come from the Bible. It was borrowed from Greek philosophy. And the idea of substance comes from the study of biology, the unity of living things. The creed says the Father and the Son have that kind of unity of one being, one substance. And that was a that's an early example of science uh, informing theology. And, and I think this process has continued as, uh, as we explore the universe more. We get a wider range of metaphors. Andrew, physicist and priest, offers a sophisticated sense of how science and theology differ. Measurement being essential for the former, revelation for the latter. And how theology has learned from science. I like parallel arguments, but worry that parallelism here can convey epistemic equivalence, a similar kind of confidence in what we know between science and religion. We know that science has third-person public verification, while religion is limited to first-person private reporting.
With this disjunction, how to find consonants? I switch sciences, turn from physics to biology. I meet the distinguished evolutionary biologist and former Dominican priest, Francisco Ayala. Francisco, the fundamental of, of the monotheistic Abrahamic religions is that God created the world and God created humans, but evolution, we know, created humans. So those look like they're in conflict. So how do you get confidence out of that? I see evolution, science in general, and religion as two windows to look at the world. What evolution tells us is how life originated on Earth, and then we know very much about what happened over the last several million years in terms of gradual evolution and the eventual origin of our own species. Now, God tells us that we are creatures of God. Well, at this conference yesterday, one of the theologians was saying, well, but evolution cannot explain everything. God has to intervene at some point. Otherwise, how are we going to call uh, uh, the world created by God? Assume I'm a person of faith, and I believe, therefore, that I have been personally created by God. Mm. I can accept that, and still I don't have to believe that God intervened in my process of development. I can have this natural explanation of my life, mm. and at the same time believe that I am a creature of God. Many people, particularly on the theology side, like to draw this uh, parallelism. But implicit in that sounds like there's a symmetry, two different ways of looking at the world, and they have, as we would say, they're epistemically equal. I would say that that symmetry is false, that science has a, a, a third-party verification, and that's not at all the case with theology. Theology is very chaotic, everybody has different opinions, and there's no independent verification that has any reliability. Well, it's, again, two, two different ways of looking at the world, because in science, we formulate hypotheses, explanations, and then we can test them by observation and experiment and reject them if they are not correct, right. or accept them and go the next step and the next step and the next step. Theology does not have that uh, ability of testing its hypothesis. You cannot easily convince people who have a different religious view of your own views, right. because right. there is no way of <laughs> testing one against the other, right. saying this is correct, this is not. Right. I appreciate Francisco's two windows of science and theology from which to view the world. I agree that there is no way of testing science and theology one against the other. But the challenge to theology is surely larger. Theology's historic retreat as an explanatory system in light of science's inexorable advance cannot be denied. Does such scientific advance and theological retreat make a mockery of the quest for consonants? I put the question to a Jewish philosopher of science, an expert in the history of science and rationality, the director of the Center for Religious and Interreligious Studies at Tel Aviv University, Menachem Fish. Menachem, in trying to discern what is consonance uh, between science and religion, the obvious answer to some would be that religion has to keep shrinking in order to accommodate the advances of science and that its explanatory power gets uh, smaller and smaller. And if it does that, all is well. And uh, it's, it's consonant. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Well, not really. First order consonance is for scientists and religious practitioners 
perhaps. I'd like to speak like a philosopher and a historian of philosophy, and consonance for me is a second-order concept. Peter Harrison wrote a wonderful book on Protestantism, the Bible, and the rise of natural science, where he drew attention to the importance during the 17th century of the two books metaphor. Okay, the book of nature, and reading the book of nature is science, of course, and the, and the book of scripture. And this is the great impact of the Reformation on the rise of science, that Luther's insistence on what might be called the privatization of revelation, viewing it the obligation of duty of every single person to read the book of scripture for him and herself, unmediated by scholars and theologians, required Luther to claim, as he put it, that the meaning is in the text. In other words, you have to assume a literal mm -hmm. surface meaning as the place where the words of God reside. Now, if you take the two books metaphor seriously, what would be the analog of literalism with regards to the book of nature? Empiricism. Mm -hmm. In other words, the tribunal against which scientific claims will be judged are the empirical facts that mm -hmm. meet the eye. So there's a consonance here between a major doctrine of early Protestant religiosity and a philosophy of science or, or a, a second order view of how to proceed in science. And of course, the two book metaphor, when, when taken seriously by the Counter-Reformation, by Catholicism, went exactly in the opposite direction. The meaning of scripture is deep and it resides far, far deeper than the surface literal meaning of the words. And for this, you need rational theological preparation. Now, the analog regarding the book of nature is, of course, rationalism. So if Francis Bacon's empiricism is the hero of Reformation <clears throat> early science, René Descartes' rationalism is the Catholic alternative. And this explains why the scientific revolution was launched with two diametrically opposed philosophies and methodologies of science, empirical rationalist. Now, I think that the challenge in our day and age is not empiricism or rationalism. We've made our peace with that. But the great challenge now is the latter-day realization of the framework dependency both of science and of religion. I think there's a fundamental distinction here. When you're talking about empiricism and rationalism, that would be, in, in, uh, in its modern form, be theory and practice, in essence. In fundamental physics, it is theoretical physics, it's mathematical beauty of the equations of the standard model of the Large Hadron Collider, where theory and practice yielded the Higgs boson. On the religion side, I could argue the exact opposite. The divide has gotten wider by some being very fundamentalist, being very literal-minded to whatever scripture they happen to be, be their religion. So you have a divergence on the religion side, but you have a convergence on the science side. Yeah, I think it would be wrong to view theory and fact as a sort of mere mingling of rationalist and empiricist doctrine. I mean, the empiricist doctrine is, okay, that the only source of true knowledge of the world mm. is not our prejudiced ideas and hypotheses, 
but the hard facts of what meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Okay, the rationalist position says exactly the opposite. The eye and the ear fool us all the time. Mm -hmm. And certain knowledge is acquired in, in, in the certainty of mathematics. Where we're standing today is that the source of scientific truth lies neither in theory nor in what scientists take to be the facts, but in the normative framework of science, in, as Kant put it in the first critique, in the synthetic a priori truths, which are constitutive of how we theorize and how we observe. Now, religions boast that divide as well, and I think the consonance is at that level. Okay, how does religion change its mind how does science change its mind in the sense of reflecting, adjusting, supplementing, finding their frameworks wanting and in need of improvement? Rejecting the usual approach of trying to reconcile theology to science, Menachem proposes equivalent philosophical foundations. I like his thinking that the source of truth for science and theology lies in each's foundational framework, the unproved assumptions upon which each builds its beliefs. It's a novel approach to consonance, a similar epistemology for science and theology, a similar system for accessing, assessing, and processing knowledge. But again, just because science and theology both have foundational frameworks, it does not follow that they are also equal in their truth-making strengths. Can I take such efforts to fortify theology one step further, to where science is subservient to theology? I hear that a British theistic physicist is also attending the Consonance Conference. Tom McLeish wants to turn science and theology on their heads. When science hits issues like this, um, the, the methodology is to ask, well, are you asking the right question? So I started thinking, well, is this, how do you reconcile the right question? Suppose one suspends disbelief and, be and, and believes. Suppose, just, just suppose, try it, try it. Then think what the question is. Well, the question is, um, what do I do with science? Science then becomes a gift, not a problem. The question is a teleological one, a question of purpose. What is science for within the kingdom of God, how do we adopt it? How do we develop it? That, that's a legitimate, interesting question, but it's not the same question. In science, I find this all the time. You, 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 you want to address a particular question. You're getting nowhere, so you ask a tangential question. You say, this theology of science, this purpose of science, it might sound like a completely different question, but when you ask it, it turns out to be a, a path to answer the question you first started with. I think this is an invented conflict. It wasn't a historical accident. It came because scientific advances undercut the, the fundamental way of thinking of theology well, in terms of creation well, and Darwinism. Wait, I mean, it wasn't an accident. If you articulate theology and science as competing different ways of knowing, then you're going to weigh into trouble. I'm a radical here. So I'm going to radically push back on this and say, look, the reason we're in trouble is because we've assumed these are competing epistemologies. Um, think of how this is helped by one possible answer to the question I asked. If it's the science, a theology of science, then doing science might be what you do epistemologically in a religious worldview. Science could just be a part of working out one's theistic religious faith. And if that's true, the verses doesn't even arise. 
Tom's argument for a theology of science seems circular. Assume God exists. Then a theology of science enriches understanding of God's creation, which in turn increases confidence that God does exist. While normally I would reject reasoning in a circle, I don't so quickly reject it here. The test for consonance, I think, is whether unusual or unexpected insights about science emerge, because such insights could break the circle, encouraging, if not corroborating, theology as the framework for comprehending science. I think I should speak with an atheist. And yes, there is one atheist attending the conference, philosopher of science Michael Roos. Michael specializes in the theory of evolution as applied to science theology controversies. Michael, you're an atheist. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, they have to have one of me. Well, I'm pretty atheistic about Christianity, but I, I'm not sure that I'm atheistic about the ultimate ontological metaphysical questions. Is there, why is there something rather than nothing? I don't know. Well, uh, let's look at the, at, the, at the big picture here. That is this quest for consonance, is that meaningful? Does harmony yield truth? Harmony can yield artificial uh, kumbaya and, and <laughs> <laughs> and, and disguise truth. Yes. Presumably you're going to take science somewhat seriously. The question is to what extent can these not so much mesh together, but perhaps work together, live together harmoniously. But the, uh, the, the concept of consonance gives the impression of symmetry. And if anything, theology and the natural sciences are asymmetric. Theologians, believers have to take into account everything that science says, and science has to take into account nothing that theology says. You agree with that? No, I don't. I think you're dead wrong, and I'm afraid you're going to have to rewrite that paper. Okay, okay. <laughs> Certainly, well, you're going to get what? a passing mark in my class. Well, th th uh, that's not particularly what I care about, but I care about truth, uh, not, not getting a passing what, mark what, in your class. No, uh, seriously, you're right. At one level, it's asymmetrical. I think if science tells you that Adam and Eve did not exist, then religion's got to get on with it. At another level, though, uh, particularly as somebody like myself who's worked a lot on evolutionary biology, yeah. I do see evolution, Darwinism, for many of us, offering some kind of world picture of origins, of our place, of all of these things, which in many respects I see as deeply religious, if you like, secular religious or something like that. But certainly... Isn't that you... an oxymoron, secular religious? No, no, I, I don't think it is. I think that religion, of course, is notoriously difficult to define. Yeah, of course. Basically, with religion, you have a, a number of characteristics. Sure. Origins, sure. morality, place of humans, where are we going, these sorts of questions. I see evolution, it does take on this world picture that we're modified monkeys rather than modified dirt, as Thomas Henry Huxley said. Right. And that matters, that uh, uh, in all sorts of things, evolutionary biologists are going to be very interested in the same questions, like, say, homosexuality. Yeah. But whereas a Christian is going to approach it from one respect and looking at the Bible and what it says in Leviticus, an evolutionary biologist is going to be looking at it from the point of view sexual so, selection, kin selection, same, me, same sort of things, though. Sounds to me everything you've said defended what I had, m my, my uh, uh, conjecture, whereas you said I was all wrong, and every piece of data you just gave me uh, supported it. Is there any fundamental area in which science has to listen to any of the claims of any of the religions that you just gave me? You see, you're doing it again. Now you're giving uh, me a leading question, uh, yeah. which basically is saying I 
have to defend this. I want to say, of course, science in many respects trumps religion. Adam and Eve did oh, not okay. exist. Right. But yeah. you're missing something. You're missing Tell me. getting into the fact that science and religion are so similar. We know that there are differences, but what I want to emphasize, and this is for me what consonance means, is seeing where people of good faith from both sides can come together and find meaningful solutions to some of the awful problems we've got in this world, like global warming, like poverty, like war in Africa, these things. And it's not a time for lovey-dovey, but it's a time to try to work together. Science and theology yoked and pulling together for the common good of all humanity seems laudatory. And if such practical harmony be the message, then consonance should be uncontroversial and appreciated by all. But the consonance of the Quest for Conference is ontological, probing the bedrock of reality, seeking to solve the mystery of existence. That's why ontological consonance gets no easy pass. As I see it all, right here, right now, the universe is theologically ambiguous. Theists and atheists alike can call into evidence precisely the same cosmos to support their respective cases. Theists see order, beauty, discoverability, a great chain of being, just what you'd expect with God. Atheists see the laws of nature working naturally and chaotically, with no need for non-physical additives, just what you'd expect with no God. I love science and I love theology, but I'm not sure I love them to be consonant, at least not easily and not yet. Let them struggle a while to get closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.